Great to see you. I want to start off with a story. So <clears throat> I was 29 years old, and I was newly married, uh, and I had started going back to church. I grew up in the Episcopal Church. I started going back there with my new husband. After a long absence after high school, through my college years and beyond, I wanted to experience what the world had to offer, but that didn't go so well for me. So I started going back to work or to church, and um, we were really active in that church. But eight months into my marriage, my husband told me he was in love with his boss, and he was having an affair, and he left. He wanted a divorce. And of course, I was devastated by that, as you would be. I was filled with shame. And this church that we went to was a pretty small church. It was about 40 people. We were one of the younger folks. We sat right in the front row, and I could not go back to that church because I was just, like I said, filled with shame. It was way too hard to go back there after that. And as anybody who's been divorced knows, it's, it's, a, hard, it's a hard thing to walk through. So I started to church shop. And I went around to several different churches, didn't really like anything I liked. A friend invited me to a Lutheran church. Uh, and said they're doing this great program, you should come out there. I went to the Lutheran Church, the pastor met me at the door, shook my hand, said, hey, I'd love to take you to coffee. I was shocked by that, because I had grown up Episcopal, which is very close to Catholic, where it's the priest, and it's very, they don't shake your hand and invite you to coffee. That was like, what? Wow, me, coffee? So uh, I went to coffee, I kind of told him, you know, I'm divorced, and I'm, and I'm really frustrated, and I'm mad, and, um, but I'm trying. And he said something to me that really stuck with me. He said, you know, it's okay to be mad at God. It's okay to, to tell him you're mad and be mad at your situation. So I kind of stuck that in my back pocket, not in my ear, <laughs> in my back pocket. And, uh, but I was still, still kind of frustrated. Um, I was at home one evening in my room, in my house by myself, laying in bed, reading my Bible, not because I wanted to read my Bible, but because that's what good Christians do, right? All right, fine. I should just read my Bible because that's what you do when you're a good Christian. But I'm just, these feelings, this anger and this frustration is building and building and building. And I'm reading and I'm getting more and more frustrated. And I finally, I put my Bible down. I looked up and I said directly to God, I said, maybe this is all just BS. Except for I didn't say BS. I said the word. And in that moment, alone in my bedroom, the Holy Spirit came on me like a ton of bricks. I mean, it was just this massive power that hit me. And I felt this heat wave flow through my body and my skin was on fire and my ears were ringing. And I was like this, I was like, oh, it's all true. It's all, it's real, like this is real, it's all true. And I'm by myself and I'm kind of scared half to death because I can absolutely feel the presence of the Holy Spirit all completely around me. And that happened when I looked at God right at his face and swore at him. So if that's how I can be filled with the Spirit, I want you to have hope moving forward. That's my point in telling this story. Um, but that happened when I was 29 years old. And from that point forward, I became a follower of Jesus. So I wanted to start off with that. Welcome, by the way. My name is Stacy Larson. I'm the executive pastor here at Living Word. I wanted to start off with that story because, as Drew had said, we all come into this topic of the Holy Spirit with our own experiences, our own background, our own history. Um, and I wanted you to know mine as we move into this because that is, I consider that a very powerful, tangible Holy Spirit experience. And that's kind of shaped how I 
how I do things moving forward, I guess. Um, so my hope today, regardless of what your experience was or is or hasn't happened yet, um, my hope is that as we talk about the spiritual gifts, you can kind of find a piece of something there that fits you because I do believe that the spiritual gifts are for everybody. Um, so with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow, thank you. You're such a good God. We praise you. We stand in awe of you. We love you. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you sent the helper, the advocate to be with us and walk with us and show us how to do these things, Lord. We ask for your presence and your grace here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, few topics invoke emotions the way the baptism of the Holy Spirit does, do, does, the way the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. Uh, Again, as I said, as we all kind of come with our own opinions about this, some of us maybe have apprehensions. And so I want to just kind of touch on a few of those really quickly as we move forward. The first one might be that maybe you come from a background or a teaching that does not believe that the, the gifts of the Spirit in particular are for today, and that's called cessationism. And there uh, are people I know in this congregation that come from that background. And so maybe when we talk about spiritual gifts, it kind of feels a little bit off-putting, or maybe it rubs you the wrong way. You're just like, oh, all right, fine, I'll listen to this, but I'm not sure. Other people maybe have heard about the gifts, they believe in the gifts, but they don't really believe in them personally for them. It's more for like famous Christians, TV evangelists, um, and they're kind of indifferent. Like, okay, this sounds really good. Thanks for the information for those really famous people who are going to get the spiritual gifts and use them. Um, Other people still are maybe really desperate for the gifts. Maybe you've been praying and wanting the gifts, but either through wrong teaching or wrong belief, you feel like you didn't get them because you're not good enough, or you've done something wrong, or you have this unconfessed sin somehow, and so that's why you don't have spiritual gifts. Other people still maybe have been in a room, have kind of seen the gifts been displayed, and they're like the supernatural glory. They've witnessed it from a distance, and they're like, yeah, that seems really weird. No, thank you. I'm out. You watch from a distance, and, and so maybe there's a little fear or even disgust. It's like, I do not want that. That looks nuts. Um, and then hopefully there's some of you who are just learning about the gifts, and you're interested and, and maybe feeling hopeful. But wherever you fall in that list, uh, I just want to ask sort of humbly that you kind of say, stay curious as we move forward and we explore these gifts, because I do, like I said, I do believe they're for everybody. Um, We are going to go through a lot of scripture today. This is like a three-week sermon that that I've squished into one week. So we're going to like... It's going to be up here. I'm happy to talk to you afterwards if you want a list of these things. But let's just dive in. Okay, so first thing is, what are the spiritual gifts? And in order to answer that question, we want to look to Paul. Paul also, uh, which I wish I could tell his story, but we're not going to have time, had a dramatic transformation with the Holy Spirit on the road to Damascus. His story is in Acts chapter 9, if you want to read about that. Um, But after that, he started his ministry, and he wrote 13 epistles, or we like to call them letters, in the Bible, Uh, to various churches uh, where he was ministering. And so in those epistles, that's where we find these lists of spiritual gifts. And we're going to look at three letters today. We're going to look at Ephesians, Romans, and 1 Corinthians. 
All right, so let's start with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So the Greek word here for gifts is domata, and that means gifts. <laughs> Nothing tricky there. Um, they don't have to be spiritual gifts. They could be any gifts. So that's what that Greek word means. Let me list the gifts again in this scripture. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So that's our first list. Our next list, we're going to go to Romans 12, and this is verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, so this Greek word is charismata, which means gifts of grace. And the connotation behind the word kind of means there's elation, there's rejoicing, there's gladness behind this word, charismata. Um, the root word behind that means charis, and that word means grace. And that means that these gifts are given by God's grace. They're freely given. It means they're not earned, we, not for a reward or for payment or anything. They're given just by the grace of God. It's where we get the word charismatic when we talk about the charismatic movement. It's also where we get the modern word charisma. So if you think about somebody who has charisma, they, they're attractive, right? They're kind of magnetic. We're drawn to them because they have charisma. This comes from this Greek word, charismatic. All right, so... Last list of gifts is going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, and this is where we're going to hang out in 1 Corinthians, because this is where all the fun controversy is. So, here we go. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by, this, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, <coughs> the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, now before we dive into the controversy in 1 Corinthians, I want to recap our lists. So we have a, a, hopefully a slide here that's going to show you these lists of gifts. First one is uh, Ephesians. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, shepherd. Romans 12 Here's our list. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and mercy. And then finally, the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. 
Now, you might notice on these gifts, those gifts in Ephesians are all nouns. We're going to have a little grammar lesson along with our scripture and our Greek. They're all nouns, which meaning they're kind of like character traits. So you could say, like, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, I'm a teacher. And that's that word domata, gifts. In Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, those gifts are a little more active. They're more verbs. They're not all verbs, but they have a little more action to them. And that's that word charismata for the gifts. I will also mention that this list of gifts is not exhaustive. There are other uh, mentions of the gifts in other places in Scripture. If you Google spiritual gifts, you're going to get a long list of different things, and you're going to find some tests. And some of those things are useful and accurate, and some of them not so much. So (laughs) take it with a grain of salt, but just to let you know, there's some other ones out there. Um, If we look at that list of of gifts uh, in Romans, uh, and we kind of narrow those down a little bit, none of us are really put off by teaching, the gift of teaching, or the gift of service, or the gift of leadership. That doesn't really get us worked up. But if we look at the list in 1 Corinthians, and we talk about prophecy, and tongues, and discernment of spirits, then we get discomfort that kind of starts to stir. So I want to look at that scripture again, because I want to figure out, like, why is that? Why do those gifts in particular get us all stirred up? So back to 1 Corinthians 12. We'll read this again. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And here's where we find the trouble. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's what set these, sets these gift of, gifts apart. It's the manifestation that makes this list different. So manifestation in Greek, phanerosis, that root word is phaino, and that means to appear or to shine or to be seen. And this is what has everybody up in arms, maybe, maybe literally up in arms. Um, <laughs> so God, because what this means is God who created the universe, our ever-present God, suddenly is present in our world today, here and now. By his, appear, or by his spirit, he appears, right? He shines. He's here and he's present. We can see him. We can feel him. When I say feel him, see him, I mean we can see the presence of him. We can feel him uh, around us, others around us. And if you've never witnessed this, the first time you witness it, it can be scary. It can be overwhelming. I would be worried if you just were nonchalant about it because there's definitely, there's something to it when you experience the presence of God. But also, though, so when we have that happen, we have to remember that we are Westerners, and we're not only Westerners, we're Americans, and we don't really like to feel emotions publicly. Well, maybe anger. We do anger pretty well publicly. (laughs) But we don't like to feel love and joy and peace, right? We don't want to get all gooey in front of other people. We don't want to let go of control. And when you're baptized in the Spirit, you're letting go of control. That's what's happening. You're allowing God's presence to fill you. Um, And some things might happen when that happens. You might weep openly, or you might fall to the ground on your knees or even on your face. You might speak in tongues. You might prophesy. Or you might sit very happily in your chair in calmness and bask in the fruits of the Spirit. These are all possible. The Spirit manifests itself himself in many, many different ways. But he is a gentleman, and he does not possess you, 
And he's not going to force you into anything. He's patient, and he's going to wait for you to let go. The other thing about this, when you're filled with the Spirit and you experience the Spirit, it can be addicting. Remember that word charisma? We're kind of drawn to this. And the gifts sort of have an allure. They, they draw us to them. And because we're human and we're fallen, sometimes we get things a little bit twisted with the gifts. Um, and we seek the gifts for the sake of the gift, or we seek them for power, or we seek them for notoriety. Um, but this isn't a new scenario. Uh, it was common in Paul's time as well. Uh, so much so that after he gives us those lists of, lists of gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, the very next chapter, he tells us how to use them in 1 Corinthians 13. And just as a side note, I do have to say, I may have uh, hypothetically been a person who's fallen into the trap of seeking a gift for the gift's sake or for looking for it for power. Uh, it, you don't have to be all that. It's pretty easy to do because it's a pretty great thing. And I'm a little bit of an addictive personality, so you know, I see it happen. I want more of it. Um, this verse that we're going to look at also just happens to be the verse uh, that is shared to bind people together for a lifetime of marriage. So you may recognize it because it's pretty popular. 1 Corinthians 13 if I speak in the tongues of men, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This scripture always moves me. It's really, it's like my life verse. I come back to it over and over and over again. So in this, we see that our motivation, our motivation for the gifts is always, always, always from a posture of love. Because without love, people can get damaged by the gifts. When our heart is not in a posture of love, but of pride or power or self-satisfaction, it can turn people away from the gifts altogether, and it, and it has. Um, other, there have been other just distortions of this. Churches have used emotionalism to kind of manipulate the gifts. Believers have felt like they need a certain response in order to show that proof that they were baptized. And then when that response doesn't happen, they leave feeling deflated or unworthy and unloved. Some people have even left the church entirely around this issue and because of this. But interestingly, interestingly, Paul, in his three letters, in Ephesians, in Romans, and in 1 Corinthians, when he talks about the gifts, surrounded by that scripture, and I do encourage you to go read these scriptures after this. When he talks about the gifts, all, in all three areas, he talks about, one, love has to be present. It's in all three scriptures. And then the second thing he talks about, that it's in unity in the body of Christ. The body of Christ working together is how the gifts are meant to be used, and love, love, love has to be present. So we've talked about what the gifts are. We've talked about how to use them. Let's talk about why we would use them. Why should I pursue spiritual gifts 
And if we continue with Paul, we did 1 Corinthians 12, then 1 Corinthians 13. Let's just move on over to 1 Corinthians 14 because he's on a roll. Here's our answer, 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. And then skipping down to verse 39. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. That's a lot of tongues and prophecy all in there. And that chunk that I skipped, there's more tongues and prophecy all in there. Um, I want to look further into these two gifts because that's what Paul has done. So we're going to follow his example. So I want to start first with tongues. In this passage... Paul is talking about tongues in two different ways because there are two different purposes for tongues. It's the only gift in 1 Corinthians that kind of has this second unique purpose. So the first purpose of tongues, like all the other gifts, is to build up the church. That's the reason we have the gifts, to build up the church. Um, So say, for example, um, let's see... uh, there, I'm speaking in a tongue, and suddenly I start speaking in Chinese, but I don't know Chinese. But there's someone here who does know Chinese, or maybe they don't. Maybe the Spirit's on them, and they understand what I'm saying, and they can get, oh my gosh, you're saying this. Do you, do you know Chinese? No, I don't know Chinese, but this is what you're saying. That builds up the body of church. We can all witness that and see, look what just happened. They don't know Chinese, and they're sharing this. It's building up the body. That's the first purpose of tongues. The second purpose of tongues, however, is what we often call our prayer language, and this is the most common occurrence of tongues that we see. So this is when someone speaks in a language that is not known, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the tongues of angels, uh, but there's no one to interpret. So if there's no one to interpret, the church isn't built up. But... This prayer language is designed, it's meant to build up the relationship between you and the Father in the Spirit. It's a personal gift for you. It's a personal language gift uh, so that your spirit is in communion directly with his spirit. But here is the kicker. You don't know what you're saying. It's not interpreted. You don't know what you're saying. Uh, You don't know the language either. And yet you do know that you are in communion with God when this is happening. But this is where we lose some people. They're like, yeah, I'm out. It sounds too weird. I'm out. I just have to say at this point, I mean, Scripture talks about it. I just have to say it's true. And and I I know it's true because I can witness to that fact because I speak in tongues. Um, And I know a lot of people who do speak in tongues, and they can witness to that fact. Uh, And they've received it as a prayer language. So uh, Paul does talk about it, but that's what that piece is for. Um, There also, though, has been misuse with this gift, Um, and this is uh, where the church in the past is kind of required, maybe, that you speak in tongues in order to prove that you're baptized by the Spirit. Um, And although this gift, you you do receive it, or you could receive it when you are baptized in the Spirit, it's not the only thing that happens. You don't necessarily receive it then. There are other things, there are other gifts that happen. 
I will say, though, it's really common. It's one of the most common gifts, and a lot of, a lot of scholars believe that it's like a beginner's gift. So I think that's why it's talked about so much, is it's often, not always, but it's often a gift that you receive when you're first coming in contact with the Spirit. Uh, just an example of that, if you were here last week, Drew shared his story where he was talking with Katie on the phone and then all of a sudden started speaking tongues. Like, is that tongues? I don't know. I think it's tongues. Um, new to it, right? It's a new gift. My husband has given me permission to share his story. He has a similar story to Drew's. We were at a Holy Spirit retreat uh, weekend and where there was a time when we were asking to be filled with the Spirit and... Uh, and so these ladies came over to lay hands on my husband, and they were praying, more power, Lord, more power. And Bill was actively praying in his mind, no more power, Lord, no more. I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. <laughs> so he was praying against the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but then later that weekend, he and another gal were praying for somebody else, and they were just praying out loud, and Bill was praying for her, and he was so moved by her needs and his compassion, he was praying, and he ran out of words, and he just started speaking in tongues. And he was like, dang it, blah, 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 blah. like, what is this? Like, I didn't want this. But again, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, but you know, it, it, it happens that way. It's, it's a, it is a beginner's gift. My story, very different. I also was at a Holy Spirit weekend retreat where they did a teaching on tongues and said, if you want this gift, this is how you receive it. Here's how you do it. And I was diligently taking notes. And then it was the time to stand up and give the gifts. I was like a golden retriever. I'm like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I want the gifts of Spirit. Me, 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 me. Give it to me. And so I opened my mouth and I received the gift of Spirit or the gift of tongues. Gift of Spirit. Gift of tongues. Um, I was very anxious for it and desperately wanted it. And so I did receive it. Um, but all that to say, there's a lot of ways that this can happen. And is it required to be baptized in the Spirit? No, it is not. And is it useful in the building up of the church? In most instances, no, it's not. Unless there's interpretation, unless we have that first purpose. But it is common. We read about it in several places in the Scripture. Paul goes out of his way to clarify its use, and we see it in the church frequently today. So that's a little, little bit on tongues. Let's move on to prophecy. So prophecy is not so much the telling of the future, although it can be, but as much as it is just an encouragement, uh, to, again, to build up the church, to build up individuals. There's lots of details about prophecy. We are not going to have time for me to go into all of them. But I will say um, this bit, it comes to you supernaturally. You kind of get an impression or a word about another person or a church. It might be a picture. It might be a vision. It might be a word. It might be a phrase. We have whole books in the Bible that are dedicated to the prophets. It's alive and well, back, both back then and today. And again, this gift is always used to build up the church, even when it's bad news. And if you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, sometimes there's some bad news, but it's meant to turn people back to God and build up the church. Prophecy should be, especially if you're first using this gift, should be tested it should always be in alignment with Scripture. If it's not in alignment with Scripture, I would question it. If somebody came up to you and said, you know what, I just, I got a word for you. I think the Lord told me that you should leave your husband. I, I would question that prophecy. I would test it against Scripture. You can also go to fellow believers and say, what do you think about this? Somebody told me this. Does this seem to make sense? We should be in agreement about prophecy. People should be in agreement with it and, and should be able to stand up against the test of Scripture. Paul encourages prophecy to build up the church. Again, it's a common gift, both then and today. Um, 
And so that's all I think right now that I'm going to say about prophecy. I want to read this scripture again now that we've talked about tongues and prophecy. So again, this is 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue, prayer language, speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue, prayer language, builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, prayer language, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. So hopefully that makes a little bit more sense as we looked in the gifts, what, that, what he's meaning when he's saying, do this, don't do this. There is, like I said, a whole section in between there where he goes into more detail about how to use tongues in the church, when to use tongues, when to prophesy, keeping things in order. I encourage you to go in and read that. Um, but there's one more piece in this scripture that I want to look at, and that is twice in here, Paul says to earnestly desire prophecy. In the Greek, that word means to be jealous for, be jealous for this gift. And you might be thinking, well, I thought these were gifts of grace. Like, aren't we are we supposed to ask for them? Like, even be specific in asking for them? Because that seems a little off. Well, here's another scripture. This is back to 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire, there it is again, the higher gifts, charismata. Okay, so now this is crazy because now Paul is like ranking the gifts. Here's this one's first, this one's second. And he tells them, tells us to earnestly desire them. This feels a little bit like blasphemy. Like, oh my gosh, really? We're supposed to desire these things? I want to point out a few things as we, as we look about that. First, always going back to remembering how to use them. In love, in unity with the body of Christ. That's how we use them. Why do we use them? For the building up of the church. Second, these are gifts that are, gra uh, that are by the grace of God. We get the gifts. We don't earn them. He distributes them as he chooses. But also, we can ask for them. And we can even ask for them specifically. The two are not exclusive. God has his grace. He, delivered, he distributes them as he wants. And we can ask for them. He's in charge, it's his plan, he sees the picture, he distributes the gifts, um, but he does care about our desires and what we think and what our comfort level is, and he wants to partner with us. He's not up there saying, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, right? <laughs> he gives us a choice. I mean, think about Jacob wrestling with God and asking for his blessing, or Moses saying, show me more of your glory, or Solomon asking for wisdom. Don't be afraid to ask for a gift. Paul encourages it three times in Corinthians alone. And they weren't afraid of the gifts over there in Corinth. They were rocking those gifts, let me tell you. If Paul has not convinced you, uh, here's what Jesus has to say about it. This is Luke 11:9. 9. And I tell you, 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, we've covered a lot. I gave you a lot of scripture and and Greek and even some grammar there. I want to recap, so let's do that. Uh, Okay, first thing, several lists lists of gifts in the scripture. They're all gifts from God. Some of them are charismatic gifts charismatic gifts of grace, some of those gifts result in the manifestation of the Spirit, and that's that list in 1 Corinthians 12. Receiving a gift of the Spirit involves letting go and letting God take control. The Spirit can manifest himself in many ways. There is no right way. The gifts have been abused for pride and power and personal gain. To avoid abuses, remember how to use the gifts in love, for the unity and building up the church, keep your heart posture right. Paul encourages seeking the gifts that build up the church, even the higher gifts, prophecy, but also tongues is a wonderful gift for building up your personal relationship with the Father. God is in charge, but he values your opinion. It's okay to ask for what you want. And then I just want to add a few more things from my personal experience. So far, we've just looked at scripture for the most part. I want to just tell you a few more things from my experience with the gifts. Um, This whole endeavor with spiritual gifts involves faith, and faith involves risk. And that is not always easy, Um, or at least the leap of faith isn't easy. Once there's the gift, there's no effort at all. But that first step can really be a big one. Um, So it's okay to be stirred or unsure or confused or excited or all of the above. Second thing, if you want to speak in tongues, you have to open your mouth and make a sound. And if you know, want to know more about tongues, I will be happy to talk to anybody who wants to. But remember, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and he's not going to possess you. So if this is a gift you want, you do need to participate. If you want to prophesy, you have to share your word or your vision or your picture with someone else. It does not count if it stays in your head. <laughs> Again, there's the risk. You do not need to have an emotionally laden worship environment to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the gifts. You can do it at home, alone, in your room, and be as emotional as you want in private. You have my permission. However, I will say that when you're in a larger group, sometimes it's easier to sense the Spirit moving, and sometimes that can kind of help with that leap of faith that you're trying to take. And the last thing I want to say is once you receive a gift, use it. Practice it. It's always going to involve a step of faith, whether you're sharing a prophetic word or you're praying for healing or you're asking for a miracle. And it's okay to fail and get it wrong and to mess up. Because if you're remembering to act in love and encouragement and your heart is in the right place, even when you're wrong, you're not going to be wrong. If they're experiencing love and encouragement and you give the wrong word or you had a word you were sure of and it wasn't accurate because we're new and we're human... It's okay. Do it in love. Be encouraging. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. Um, As we close, I do have a few book recommendations for you. Did I bring my books? Here I did. Okay. First one 
is The Holy Spirit in You by Dennis and Rita Bennett. This is a classic book. I just have, I'm old school. I just brought the books with me. I don't have a fancy screen up there. Um, it's classic and in-depth look. It's in-depth look at the baptism of the Spirit and the gifts. There's a lot of scripture in here. It's a very solid teaching. I grew up with them. He was an Episcopal priest. Uh, it is a little dated. It's kind of 1970s, but still, it's an excellent, excellent book. Next book is Everyday Supernatural, Living a Spirit-Led Life Without Being Weird by Mike Pilavachi and Andy Croft. This is a modern book. It's an easier take on baptism and gifts of the Spirit, less scholarly than Dennis Bennett's book, but um, still excellent. It's an easy read. It's very relatable. Uh, we just did a small group on Wednesday evenings, and we used this book, and it was very well received. And I'm sure, I think I'm looking for some of you in here. I see one of you. Yay! Jerry gives it a thumbs up. Okay. Next book I have for you is Prophesy, Releasing God's Voice by Ben Dixon. He is a four-square pastor down in Federal Way at Northwest Church. Uh, he has a very active prophetic ministry, and he goes into great, great detail about growing in this gift. When you read it, you're going to want to be a prophet. You're going to be like, yes, Lord, please. So this one I highly recommend. The last one I don't have a copy of. We thought we had it at home and we couldn't find it. But it, it's actually my husband's recommendation. Remember my husband who was like, no more power. Um, and he says, if you want to walk on, this book is called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. This is by John Ortberg. It was very popular in kind of 2000s. Um, it's, my, it's my husband's recommendation for learning to step outside your comfort zone and take a leap of faith. It's a really great place to start if you're not sure about all this uh, and all that we've just covered in the last few weeks, okay? So those are my recommendations. Um, we are going to have an opportunity for people to come forward for prayer. We have people ready to pray for you. They are going to be kind of just around the room in various places. Um, if you want to be prayed to be filled with the Spirit, if you want prayer for anything, just come forward. We're here. We encourage you to come forward for that. If you want to talk more about the gifts, I will be up here. I'd be happy to talk to you about those. Uh, and I think that's all I've got for today. Thank you so much for listening and being here. And I'm so excited that we got to talk about this. Let's pray. Father, you're a good father and you give us good gifts, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, um, that you give us boldness, encourage us to step out and take a leap, uh, fill us with your spirit. You know us each individually. You know all the hairs on our heads, Lord. You know how we function, how we work, Lord. Just wherever we are on this faith walk, Lord, I just pray for the next little step to step out in faith. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have, like I said, people to pray. Uh, I'm going to be up here as well. Amy Jansen is the rock star who usually says, by his spirit, go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So go and do that. You are dismissed, but you're welcome to stay and pray. Amen? Amen. Amen.